Each year, if you want to get a seat in Randall Wright's Education Week class, you have to arrive early. If you arrive too late, you'll end up in the overflow, and sometimes even that is full. If you've been in Randall's class, you love his Texas twang and his incredible stories. With Education Week not happening in person this year, I thought I would bring you one of my absolute favorite gospel teachers ever on this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Randall A. Wright received bachelor's, master's, and Ph.D. degrees in family studies. He taught in the religion department at BYU and was the institute director at the Austin Institute next to the University of Texas, Austin, where he still teaches institute classes. In addition to Education Week, he worked with the Especially for Youth program for years. He is the author of several books, including The Book of Mormon Miracle, The Three-Word Journal, Making Everyday Meaningful and achieving your life mission. He and his wife, Wendy, love to travel and have been to every temple in the United States, Canada, and England. They are the parents of five married children. Randall is a fifth-generation Texan. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and I am so grateful to have my friend Randall Wright on the line with me today. Randall, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. So I feel like I should give people a little bit of background about how I know Randall right off the top so that you'll understand when we're talking, you'll be like, They seem to be very good friends, and we are very good friends. Randall is one of my very favorite people in the world. And I first met him when I was working as an EFY counselor. I think it was Illinois State. Does that sound right, Randall? Norman, Illinois. (laughs) And uh, Randall was just so... He was such a great session director, and we became friends, and we've been friends ever since. And I consider him to be someone that I trust his opinion. He's helped me with multiple stories, and I just think he is a wealth of information. And so I'm excited to share him with you all today. Well, good to be here. I looked this morning what I wrote in my journal from the Illinois State, and it says, Wendy and I were test directors for EFY, Illinois State, in Normal, Illinois, June 2011. Do you remember when it was? Uh, 2011. We were with some outstanding youth, exceptional counselors. My favorite counselor was Morgan Jones from North Carolina. We met her brother Spencer at EFY in Virginia 2008, and he was our favorite participant there. I know you don't really have favorites because everyone's a winner, but that's what I wrote in my journal straight out of it. I'm honored to be your your favorite, Randall. Well, it wasn't just that year. It's really <laughs> but for any EFI counselors, you know, everybody's winners. Well, you are the best. So one thing that I really love and have always admired about you, Randall, is you know a good story when you hear one. And I think that we we are both lovers of stories. And so my first question for you is why when you teach, so you have this long history of teaching and helping people, and many times you do it in the form of stories. So why do you like to teach in stories? Well, I'll give you one example. I got drafted in the Vietnam era, and uh, it was two missionaries per ward per year. I wasn't one of them at 19. It said, greetings, you're now inducted, and it was a rough time. And I remember that. I thought a few times that one-third of the 
host of heaven got sent to time out and they sent him to the army to be with me. But <laughs> the drugs, immorality, the profanity, and I didn't have a testimony to go with it. And so it was a dangerous time, a very dangerous time for me. And I was at a crossroads on, you know, do you have no friends? Do you go with this? And my mom sent me, I knew she was home praying for me. She sent me a book about Joseph Smith. And I read that and, and it just did something to me. And I, I finally read the Book of Mormon with real intent, not First Nephi chapter one over and over. I read it with real intent. And I, I started to gain a testimony of that. Well, I got out of the military. You have a six-year commitment, two years active, four years of reserve. But I was kind of, at a, again, just kind of didn't know who I was, starting to gain a testimony at the church. But I saw this ad in the paper for a Dale Carnegie course, and I thought, that's the last thing I want to do is take a public speaking thing. But it just wouldn't go away. I just kept having that feeling. And so I talked to the guy. He came out and saw me, told me how much it cost. It was very expensive. And I thought, well, I don't want to do it anyway. And now it's expensive. But for some reason, it just kept going. And so I signed up for that. And it was terrifying the first night because everybody in there was much older than me. There was only one guy there that was even close to me as far as confidence, and that was Calvin. Calvin was a bread truck driver. Everybody else was either CEOs, vice presidents, top salesmen. I mean, these guys were professionals already. They were just looking for a way to present better. And so the first night, I remember Calvin with his head down, my name is Calvin, and I told his last name, and I thought, man, he's got as much confidence as me, zero. But anyway, time went on, and the guy, that the leader, said, if you want to give a good presentation, you have to give something you're an expert on and you're passionate about. Okay, I don't know what I'm an expert about, nothing, and not real sure what I'm passionate about. He said, so what you need to do is tell your personal experiences. You're an expert in that, and you're passionate about some of those experiences. And I thought, okay. So I watched it over time. We, we saw people get even more confidence, and Calvin started to come out of it a little bit. And in our last talk, we had talked about anything we wanted to do, anything we wanted to, and and I couldn't come up with anything. I was just totally blank, and it was our final presentation, and and a little voice said, why don't you talk about Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon? You're passionate about that now. And I go, there is no way I would possibly talk about Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon to all these non Latter-day Saint executives. And there was a leading salesman of the largest beer and wine distributor in Southeast Texas. And so I just said, there's no way. But nothing came. And the night of, I actually brought case of Book Mormon, just in case I had the nerve to get up there and, and do what I felt I should do. And I had nothing else. I literally was trying to think of something else right up to the time. Couldn't do that. Got up there, talked about Joseph Smith and Book Mormon passionately for, for me. And anyway, I finished and I thought, I'm going to get blasted for doing this. I know it's totally inappropriate to have done that. I'm going to get blasted. The next guy up, of all people, it was Jerry, the leading salesman with the beer and wine guy. Why him? Of all people, he gets up there and he says, I had a talk, true story, he said, I had a talk prepared, but I'm not going to give it because uh, the last talk reminded me that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I remember the church Jewish Christ Friday Saints hadn't been active and I need to go back to church and I just want to tell everybody I'm going back and went and sat down. And I went, whoa. Long story short was 
I gained a new testimony of following promptings later. Jerry and I, with our wives at that point, lived next door to each other at BYU. He did quit his job, went back and got a master's degree in social work, and we later served in a bishopric together. So I just thought of the Dale Carnegie course, you know, where something you're passionate about, you're passionate about experiences that you either observed or happened to you or really affected you. And so then... We're married. I'm at BYU. My wife goes into labor with our first child. We don't know. There's nobody there, no family, those kinds of things. And uh, she was in labor for 35 hours. I want to prolong this. But bottom line is, uh, doctor said emergency C-section. I wasn't real sure what a C-section was, but he asked if I wanted to give my wife a blessing. It was at Utah Valley Hospital in Provo. And so I gave her a blessing. They wheeled her off and said, just go down to the waiting room and and wait, and we'll let you know. And it seemed like forever. I can't remember how long it was. It was late night. But I in that room, let's just say you remember to pray in those situations. And so I prayed, and I remember promising. I don't even know where this came from. Maybe the Dale Carnegie course is the only thing that hit me was I promised the Lord that I would look for important lessons from life, and I would record them. And if I ever had a chance, I would share them with other people. And so that was the promise. I can say that my wife was okay, my son was okay, but I had a commitment and I've tried to keep that. And as I thought back, I've read statements, and I've got statements here by Harvey Clough, Utah pioneer. He said, no intelligent person in youth or old age should merely drift along. Look the world squarely in the face, listen and learn, for there are grand lessons before you every minute. And I thought, wow, that's incredible. So then I started looking close and I started writing those things down. And it didn't have to happen to me if I observed it. If it was a Morgan Jones story, I would, I would write it down. And it, I didn't care who taught me the lesson. I thought, this life is a university. We go to a university for a few years, don't learn that much. And then life, we can learn. And so I started recording them. And after a while, I started going backwards. I started going back in my past and bringing them forwards. And before long, it was just kind of a jumbled mess. And I got, ah, I'm getting confused now. And I thought, I need to record something. I don't have time to record the whole thing. And that's when I came up with a little, what I call the three-word journal, where I just take three words that summarize the experience where I know exactly what it means. I could pass it on to my kids, and they would have no idea what it means, but I would know what it meant. And so I started doing that. It would take me eight to ten seconds to write it down. And so maybe I'm in sacrament meeting. In fact, I remember sitting with Morgan Johnson, Ellie Hall, in Nauvoo, Illinois, after that session of EFY, and said, okay, Morgan, there's one. I was very irreverent in sacrament meeting because I was trying to teach you to look for those things that are right in front of us. And maybe you already did it for all I know, but I just made that commitment that we're looking for lessons. And you can call them stories, we can call them whatever. But for example, maybe I'm at a meeting in Orem, Utah, and the speaker, his name is Nolan Butters, and he says that his son, Jared, I think Jared was seven years old at the time, was out playing with his little green turtle, that little small green turtle. You buy it wherever the department store and uh, not a big turtle at all. But he was playing with one of his little friends from the neighborhood. And the little friend said, you sure are lucky to have a turtle. And then the father heard the little neighbor boy say, all I have is a dog and a cat and a horse. I went, 
I love that. Immediately, I'm writing that down. I'm three-word it, and it's going to be Jared, the son's name, Lucky Turtle. I know exactly what it is. And every time I'm envious of somebody's new boat or whatever, you sure are lucky to have a turtle. All I have is boom. And so I took a little story that someone else shared, and all of a sudden it became mine too, because all I got to do is to insert myself in the story is I was in the Orem Suncrest Stake, and Nolan Butters was giving a talk, and all of a sudden it's mine too. He shouldn't have shared it if he didn't want me to learn from it. And so I'm just writing them down, and all of a sudden I have more and more. And let's see, Morgan, I'll ask you a question. I'm going to tell, right. tell a little story here. And first of all, I'm going to say Morgan Tyler Normal. Does anything come to mind? I feel like I don't remember. I remember that there was a kid named Tyler, and I remember there's some kind of significant experience with them, but I do not remember what it is. Okay. For all your listeners, I'm about to share one of Morgan's personal experiences here. And he's going to remind me of it. Okay. So during our normal Illinois session of EFY, there was a boy there named Tyler. He had a huge grin on his face, always so sweet. At the dance last night, he came up to Morgan to talk to her about his feet hurting. Morgan told him she was sorry. And with his big grin, he responded, it's okay. I know why. Bad shoes. She told him those are the worst. She then asked him if he had enjoyed the week. He said, yep. My least favorite part, though, is coming up. Morgan asked, what part is that? He said, leaving. Then after a pause, he added, one week a year, I get to fit in. Morgan was quiet for a minute as she thought about what he had said and then told him he was a good kid and he went off to dance. And then Morgan said, it broke my heart to think that someone feels like they only fit in once a year, but I was so grateful that one moment was something I got to be a part of. It gave kids like Tyler an opportunity to fit in, even if it was for one week. So, Morgan, you don't want to lose that story, do you? No, and I had completely forgotten about it. Okay, so I actually cheated a little bit. My cheating was I recorded it just like that, and I asked... I recorded all those details, but it wasn't as smooth as that because I asked Morgan to record it for me. She recorded it for me, sent it to me, and I just changed all the what first person to as if it was me writing. So, But there's a Morgan Jones recording one that she forgot about, had no idea where it's at. And it's just like, Morgan, what are you doing? Are you yeah, all Morgan, in? what are you doing? Are you all in on journal keeping? And if you're not, guess what? You can record an entry in 10 seconds. And then, what if you recorded then one a day? And if you recorded one a day, just like we just did here, at the end of the year, you have 365 recorded. At the end of 10 years, you have 3,650 recorded. Things that what we're looking for is things that taught you a lesson. The other thing that happens, as soon as I read that, and I, I file them in a little program called Evernote so I can immediately, all I do is type in your name and everything. There's more, but I typed up the experience from the journal and I got the Tyler experience here immediately. I like to put pictures with them too. It allows you to do that. But your picture's in there. I wish I had one with Tyler. I don't, but we have that recorded. But what happens also is then I put them into subjects. And so 
if it is self-esteem or something like that, all of those experiences I've already recorded keep flooding back into my mind. And so as soon as I read that, I thought, oh, Trek, uh, Trek, I should say. We were out, and uh, it was with our stake. Our stake present was walking behind two girls. And our stake at the time, we had eight very wealthy, awesome Texas wards and three that not so wealthy. And two of the girls from the wards that didn't have quite as much money as the others were uh, walking. And one of them said to the other, said, you know what I love about Trek? And her friend said, what? She said that we're all dressed the same way. We all are dressed like pioneers. And then she said, and nobody knows who the cool kids are. And as soon as I read Tyler's, I go back to that experience, pops into my mind, and I go, how many Tyler's are out there just wanting to be a part one week of the year? So again, you see what I'm doing here? I'm trying to learn lessons so that I can be a better person with that. So that's why I like stories. I like stories because they change me. They make me want to be better. But it doesn't help if we don't. I'm kidding here, but it doesn't help if we don't record the Tyler lessons and keep them he's he's actually not kidding <laughs> no i'm not but i had to say that so i didn't feel uncomfortable you're not I don't, you, you can't make me feel uncomfortable oh, but really? I, okay I'm i do want to warm up then i'm glad to hear that i do want to ask you though how many so first of all i think people should know but when you say that you want to learn lessons from them a lot of times don't you put the lesson that you've learned underneath the everyone so okay. I'll put the three words first then i tell the experience and then what lesson did i learn from it so okay one of them may be the same lesson the trek lesson was very similar to your other lesson that people need to be built up so i have them in 185 categories so that's the subject so if you wanted to interview me today just tell me one of the 85 and rule how long do you want to go yeah so anyway. so how how many do you have recorded now, Randall? I have a lot more in the three-word form, but I have over 5,000 recorded. Unreal. Unreal. And it makes me feel... I, I've i known about this for so long that I should be better at doing it, but I'm not. And every time that I talk to you, I'm like determined that I'm going to do better. But I do have another question. One thing that I've noticed with stories is you do have some stories that you hear and you know very clearly what the takeaway is supposed to be. And then I'll give an example. I was just listening to a talk the other day by Elder Burton. I forget his first name, but he gave a talk where he told a story about his wife and her China. Do you know the story? Yes. The one where he says, you know, if you want something to last forever, you treat it differently. Mm-hmm. And I am convinced that that is like the greatest story. I think I've listened to it like three or four times. And I will always remember the takeaway from it, right? The lesson that I was supposed to learn from it. Other times, I feel like people will take a long time out of a talk or a lesson to tell you the story. And you remember the story, but in the end, you don't really remember the lesson. So what do you think makes it a powerful story in teaching that's able to make sure that the person is internalizing the lesson? Right. That's a great point. And I don't really like stories that don't have a lesson to it, but I've learned to make my own lessons from what they say because I don't want to walk away with nothing, but I may record their story and think about it for a long time before I come up. But I've done it for so long that usually a 
a lesson pops up immediately. But I think the thing that helps in the Book of Mormon, by the way, the problem with us not remembering the devotional the other day was it was just straight doctrine. It was well prepared, but it was just straight. And it is very hard to hang on to anything. But I think the Book of Mormon is my greatest. And we talked on the phone a few days ago just briefly. But I just said the Book of Mormon is the greatest example to me of how to teach. They'll tell a story over and over. There's stories all through the Book of Mormon. And then they will, not always, but usually they'll make their point with different words. And I, I shared Korah tell the story and then, and thus we see that the devil will not support. And you go, wow, that's all the way through. And even if they didn't point it out, you look at the bad guys of the Book of Mormon and say, how did that work out for you? Look at every one of them. It did not work out good. And so that theme goes through. And so I think a, a powerful way to teach is don't just tell a story, be telling a story. There was a prince in a far-off land. I don't even like those kind of stories. I like experiences that teach lessons. But don't tell a story just to be telling a story, not to tell one to be funny or anything else. If you don't have something that goes with it, don't tell it because it's not not motivational. It's not powerful then. But I would just say there's a lesson attached and usually an invitation to act. And maybe that's where I failed you, as we've talked about so many, and I didn't put the invitation to act on the end like I should have. No, you, you have put the invitation to okay. act. I am just a bad student. <laughs> okay. All right, we'll try to do better here. But let me just give you an example of an invitation to act, and they may not have said it. So this is where I say, if they don't, you try to change it into something so. When I came out with the three-word thing, I finally came up with it. I taught it at Education Week a couple of times, different examples and things. But Stephen Cap Perry was doing some kind of thing with KSL. I don't know. I don't even know who it was for. But he wanted to do an interview like this. And so I went to the KSL studios, and he said, hey, tell me about this three-word concept. So I explained it really briefly. And, and uh, he said, you know, tell me how it works. And I said, well, you know, I could take a, a key phrase and or a person and tell you to think of an experience with that person or that situation. And then you, it would just be like doing a Google search of your brain where it goes through. And if you come up with something, then just put it in three-word form. And I said, he said, well, how does it work? I said, okay, I'm going to give you the name of a person. And if you think of an experience, you tell me the experience. I knew who his best friend was in high school. It was Brad Wilcox. And so, so that's who I'm going to use because I know he's going to have experiences with him. I said, okay, I'm going to give you a name of a person. You tell me the experience you had with them. I said, Brad Wilcox. It was like a Google search. He said, oh, as soon as I said it, oh, he said it was bicentennial year, uh, 1976. And Brad came to me. They were going to do a choir for the whole nation. They were going to pick some kids from each of the states, send them back to D.C., let them perform in a choir, send them to Europe. And Brad said, sophomores in high school, I believe, and Brad said, Stephen, let's try out for the choir. And Stephen said something to the effect that uh, there's no way we can make it, you know, there's so many talented kids in Utah, no way we can make it. Here he is telling me the story. And he said, Brad said, Stephen, we've already not made it. Let's see if we can make it. As soon as he said it, I said, okay, wait, hold, let's not start the interview yet. I pull out my little book. I go, I'm writing it down that I've used that so many times since then. Grandkids, Madison, a few years ago, long story, but didn't have a lot of confidence. And she wanted to try out for something. He said, I'm afraid I won't make it. I said, Madison, you've already not made it. 
Why don't you see if you can make it? So it was some kind of upper choir. She tried out for it and made it. And then she tells me that she wrote some expository paper and got second in the whole Austin Metro, which is 2 million people in the Metro. She got second out of all the kids in the whole area that, that were in the contest. And then she tried out for the talent show and made it and was Napoleon dance in the talent contest and go, holy cow, where'd she get this confidence all of a sudden? And then she tries out for the student council and gets co-president. Then she told me she was trying out for the dance team. I said, Madison, you've never taken dance before in your life when you were three years old. You know how to dance? She said, I know. I just like to try out now. And I picked her up from school that day, and I said, you make it? She started laughing. She said, I didn't make it. I don't know how to dance. And she was laughing about it. And you go, why did you write that down for Madison? For all the other kids that I've said, hey, you've already not made it. Why don't you see if you can make it? And obviously, Brad and Stephen made it, went to Washington, D.C., went to Europe, as you would expect. But a valuable lesson that I did not want to forget, so I wrote it down immediately. And so what makes a powerful story, I think, something that causes us to act or an invitation to act is the most powerful. And if you can explain the lesson and then give the challenge. And so for Morgan... You really don't have 10 seconds walking across that parking lot to, in your phone, write down the three-word memory that comes into your mind, right? Is that what you're saying? So here's the problem that I've had when I try to like implement this, if I'm being honest, is I'll do the three okay. words, but then I don't ever fill it in. So how do you so find you the forget. time to fill it in? Yeah. Okay. First of all, if it's a current lesson. It's not one from the past. You're not going back to an experience you had with your brother Spencer when you were 14 and it sticks out. You know that one. That's registered in here. If it's a new one, you jot down in shorthand a few lines. All of a sudden it goes from 10 seconds. That's the past one. 10 seconds to maybe a minute where you're jotting down the details. You just very much, when I did that with Stephen Cap Perry, I didn't write out the whole thing. I wrote down enough of the things, though, that I had it down, that they they made the choir, all of those kinds of things. And so I think that's where a lot of people go. They'll write down the three words. It's a new experience that you've learned. It's not yours. You didn't experience. uh, You heard it in church or whatever. Then you forget what your three words were. But with the three words, you want to possibly, if all possible, where I say Stephen Brad Choir, all of a sudden, I've used a person, place, or thing that distinguished it from all other experiences that it could be. And so, anyway, that's what I do. And I, I came up with a little, I guess it's 365 memory cues to spur your memory. And so I thought I would share it if anybody's interested in that. And then I thought, how would you share it? So I thought, well, I could email people. And I go, God, what if 200 people? And I go, no way anybody's... 200 is going to ask me anything, but just in case, I thought, well, and I don't know if if we can do this or not, but I went into Facebook and just created a little group called Three Word Journal. And okay. that way I can put up, there's 365 memory cues, but instead of overwhelming people with everything where it all blends, I'm going to put up like seven a week of here's some things, work on it. And that would give anybody a chance. And I'll put up some of my mind. If, if anybody wants to do it, they can put up some of theirs. But you know, it'll be a gold mine. If everybody shared their experiences and what they learned from them, you say, oh, this is fantastic. So again, it just you go to groups and put the 
three-word journal, the three-word journal, and it'll go right to it. But I'll, I'll post those, and I, it's, a, it's about four hours old now. So that'd, that'd be amazing. I think, and we can put, we'll put a link to that in our show notes. Another thing, speaking of gold mines, your website is a gold mine for quotes. So I'm going to make sure we put that in our show notes too. Okay, so very good. Well, and so I just say, it's kind of weird. And I just go, is this coincidence with the world? Because yesterday, one of my former students here at the University of Texas lives in Gilbert area. And he said, hey, listen to this. And so it was a guy who had done a video for some family history thing. And he said, I was in a family, I was at education week and I heard Randall Wright give this talk on three word journals and and he does a video and explains how to do it much better than I could. And so I, I put that on the site. That's my only thing on the site right now is that little video. But it's so clever. He's a medical doctor. But then this morning, 1046, because he didn't, he didn't tell me. My student Dallas told me it was up. And so I looked at it. And then I just messaged him. I said, hey, thanks for doing this video. Really clever. I love what you did. And he wrote back and says this. I'm like, saying this, that I gave the talk or whatever. I'm just saying, this is what he said. I cannot overemphasize how life-changing your one lecture was for me that day. It has not only given me perspective and direction, it has guided me through a very dark period of depression five years ago. I have sent two of my own books for my family using your technique. So he tells me the names of books and stuff and wants to send them to me. And I just thought, Hey, thank you for doing that little video. I love it. I learned something, you know, how to explain it better. So anyway, that's my story. And that's why I, think I that's, like stories. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I think one of the coolest things, Randall, is, and it goes back to what you were just saying about like that invitation to act. But I think you are a huge advocate for self-discipline and self-improvement, and you invite people to act. We've they've already listeners have already seen that this is something that Randall does on a regular basis. I'll give one example that I do remember from that week that we were in uh, Nauvoo, Illinois, which was I think you were just there in between the end of the week. So yeah, finished, and on that Saturday and Sunday, you guys went to Nauvoo for your break. Yeah. And we were there and we went to sacrament meeting and it was the anniversary of the martyrdom and they were singing. They, they invited people to be in a ward choir, like an impromptu ward choir to sing praise to the man in the Nauvoo ward that Sunday. And I remember you leaning over to myself and Ellie Hall and you were like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. When else are you going to be able to sing praise to the man in Nauvoo, Illinois? Get up there. And that made an impression on me. And I, it's funny because like something like that, you kind of just think, Oh, whatever. But I've never regretted doing that. And it's a memory that I've hung on to and something that I've been super grateful for. And so I think being someone that encourages people to take opportunities and to act and to be their best self is such a gift that you have. And so I'm interested in why you believe it's important for us to help other people reach their full potential. Well, I think my the whole thing with self-esteem is, is watching what other people did with me. When I first went to BYU, 
married, I was so excited. My wife's a convert to let her take a Book of Mormon class. And we took a Book of Mormon class and say this in any way negative. The teacher was amazing. He was a great guy, but he wasn't a religion professor. He was sent in from another department and he wasn't a religious teacher at all. And so we had a class Book of Mormon that we would pass around the room and people would read. And if anybody had a comment, including the teacher, they would say something about one of the verses where most of the verses, they didn't have anything to say. So we just passed it. That was the class basically. And to myself, it's it probably the best class I've ever taken as far as action because I said, I'll never take another class like this again. I'm going to ask everybody I see, who's your favorite teacher that you've ever had? What do they teach? And if I had to take that class, and so in one semester, I remember my brother was there working on a master's degree, and I said, hey, I want you to come to class with me tomorrow morning. And he said, I've had all the classes I want. I said, I think you'll enjoy these. There's three classes right in a row. And so I went to my first one, sociology class with Reed Bradford. If you go to the BYU library, you'll see Reed Bradford's picture on there as the, one of the top 10 professors in the first 100 years of BYU. So that was my first class. Next class was Cleon Skousen, and he, I just looked at his obituary, how many he ended up doing, but he wrote 46 books. Uh, that's a lot of books. And I remember someone asking him a question, wow, what time do you get up in the morning when he said it? I think we were all shocked. I went from Cleon Skousen's to Stephen R. Covey's class, where he was literally teaching us the things that are going to later show up in his book that sold 40 million copies, uh, Seven Habits. So I had those three in a row, but they all shared one thing in common, and that was they had self-discipline, and uh, every one of them had one thing they shared in common, but I don't want to answer that yet, but it had to do with self-discipline. And then, so I graduated from BYU. Those guys inspired me. They made me want to do better. They made me want to have discipline to do hard things. And so I went then to my first real job with 3M Company in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. And the sales leader, he's teaching us some sales things. He said, he said it kind of humorous, but he said, a person 21 years of age or older will continue to do in the future as they've done in the past, unless they've had a spiritual experience or brain surgery. And we laughed and I kind of believe it now. But I don't think spiritual experiences do it. They fade. And so nobody wants to have brain surgery. So we got a problem. And that is, let me just, uh, if I can give you a situation and you tell me what you think. So let's just assume that this Sunday, you have a guy come into town. He doesn't live in Salt Lake. And he asks you, he calls you this Sunday night and says, hey, I want to take you to Ruth Chris Steakhouse. It's number one steakhouse in Salt Lake. Uh, it's downtown. I want to take you there. Can you meet me there at 7 o'clock? So you go. He doesn't show. And 10 o'clock that night, you've gone back home. He calls you up and says, hey, that was Monday night. It's Monday night now. He doesn't show. And he calls you Monday night at 10 and says, hey, I'm going to be in town until Friday. Do you want to go to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse? And you say, well, I was there tonight. Uh, he said, yeah, I was too tired to go. But on Tuesday, you go again, and he doesn't show again. He calls you at 10 o'clock that night. Uh, you didn't show. Yeah, I went out with another friend. Wednesday night, same thing. He doesn't show. Another excuse. Thursday night, he doesn't show again. Not once does he show. And so my question to you is, what do you think about him? That he's unreliable and not somebody that I want to spend my time around. But I said you really liked him. He's coming in from town. 
I mean, I think for me, if somebody consistently doesn't show up for you, then you kind of start to lose some respect for them. Okay, so integrity is a problem. And so my question is, would you do that to anyone? I hope not. I don't think so. Hmm. I hope you're telling the truth. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Randall, you tell me. Have I always shown up for you? You always have, every time. (laughs) Here's what I'm worried about. And I'm not trying to be funny or not trying to be anything here, Maria. Here's what I'm worried about with all of us. We wouldn't dare do that to a friend, but we'd do it to ourselves. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up early in the morning. I'm going to read scriptures. I'm going to go running. I'm going to bake some cookies for the widow next door. I'm going to call my mom, tell her I love her, and then we don't do one of them. As soon as the alarm goes off, all those goes out the window. Why is it that we wouldn't dare do that to someone else, but we'd do it to ourselves? And now, all of a sudden, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we won't believe a word we say. When you were a kid, if you told a fib to your parents, there's usually consequences. And I don't know what your mom, dad did. A lot of people go to timeout or whatever. But what happens when you get to be a young single adult or an adult? Mom's not disciplining you anymore. It's called self-discipline. You go, okay, you said you were going to do this. You said you're going to write down the, the three words or whatever. Again, I'm not pushing you here. Just, just a little gentle reminder that... I'm just going to say, Martin, what's the consequences for not doing what you said you're going to do? What do you mean? Are you going to go to timeout or is there going to be a restriction on sweet? What is it? You need something to make yourself believe yourself. So I've been timeout several times. Been in timeout for sweets or for a week. And then one more time, it's going to be a month. And so go a month and then you break out the month. It's going to be a year. Let's just say I've gone a year without it. Till I get to where I believe myself. There's got to be something. So President Hinckley said one of the great tragedies we witness almost daily is the tragedy of men of high aim and low achievement. Their motives are noble. Their proclaimed ambition is praiseworthy. Their capacity to achieve is great, but their discipline is weak. They succumb to influence and don't do what they said they were going to do. And so for us, do we do what we say we're going to do? It's a problem. And I always admire those that say, I'm going to do it and they do it. And so I want to be one of those. And I I respect that. I'm still working on it. It's it's a constant battle. I think that's why the Lord sent us to earth. And But if we wouldn't tell someone else we would do something, don't tell ourselves. And so in other words, to get started, if we need to break a bad habit of giving to ourselves, start off little. I'm going to do one thing tomorrow and do it. And if you don't, then have a consequence or a reward, go either way. So here's the thing, Randall. There are some things that you've taught me that I have not done well at. And then there are other things that I actually have done. And I can attest to the fact that they've changed my life. And I just want to share one example of this. And I want to get your thoughts on this for our listeners. So a few years ago, I was feeling really overwhelmed and it was because I felt like there just were not enough hours in the day. And so I would get up, I'd go to work and then I'd come home and I need to exercise. But then there were also a lot of other things that I felt like I needed to do. And if you go exercise, then you have to shower and get ready. And I was like, there just are not enough hours in the day. And then I heard you speak, Randall, and you talked about getting up early um, and going to bed early and the difference that that could make in your life. And so I thought, you know what, if I get up 
early and I go exercise first thing in the morning. Then I've showered and I get ready for the day and then I'm free to do whatever I need to do at night. And that made a huge difference in my life. And I've gone through ups and downs with it. I, I have had a few setbacks, um, but I, every time that I get in a good habit of doing that, and I've been doing it like the last week or so again. And I just am always so grateful that you have taught that principle. So for you, Randall, what have you learned about the importance of going to bed early and getting up early? Because I know this is something that you're super passionate about. Yeah. Well, we talked about it. The first thing I'm super passionate about is the lessons. So we talk about three things. Number two is doing what we say because... You know, as President Hinckley said, we all have great ambitions, we all have great desires, but if you can't follow through, what difference does it make that you didn't accomplish any of them? But on that last one, and again, Morgan's talked about a subject I feel very strong about. This is President Nelson. In the coming days, we're familiar with this. This is his first talk as the prophet. In the coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. And so I love this story, and I, I know Morgan's familiar with it, and some of you are, but presently was called to be a member of the Corman's Club. He was a president, stake president in Salt Lake. And then later, his friend, fellow stake president, uh, Marin G. Romney, goes to conference, and he gets called to be a general authority, but nobody's talked to him beforehand. He just gets called and he's shocked sitting there. Tell, I'm sure his wife's saying, why didn't you tell me, Marianne? And go, why didn't somebody tell me? So he's, he's pretty nervous about it. It's assistant to the 12 at the time. So he goes to his friend, Harvey Lee, and says, I need some help. I'm really worried about this. I want to do a good job. And so President Lee tells him that if you want to have help, you're going to need revelation. So I'd like to just maybe read something that was said there. President Lee said, if you want to be successful as a general authority, you'll need to be inspired. You'll need to receive revelation. I will give you one piece of advice. And so I asked the Institute class this last week, I guess. I said, what, what is it that you would tell us to do to get revelation? And all the expected answers came up. Prayer, scripture reading, temple, service, obedience, sacred music. We go through the whole list and that's not what President Lee said. And you go, what did he say? And you go, it's very interesting. If you've never heard it before, and I know Morgan knows what it uh, is, but if you never heard this before, you go, I never thought of that. I've never guessed that you would say that the whole time. He said, I'll give you one piece of advice. Again, this is for Revelation that President Nelson has just said, if we don't have this, we're going to fall spiritually in this day. President Lee if you want to be a successful general authority, you will need to be inspired. You will need to receive revelation. I'll give you one piece of advice. Go to bed early and get up early. If you do, your body and your mind will be rested in the quiet hours. And so the new research, I've done a lot of research on this, but the new research says the first three hours of the day are your prime time for learning, for creativity, for ideas. And so what happens, we get up at the last possible minute and we go to work and just you just explained it perfectly. You get up when it's time to leave. You don't have time to exercise. You don't have time to read your scriptures well. And then you set yourself up for failure because there's going to be so many conflicts at night. But I, I don't know about you, but I haven't been to many wedding receptions, uh, parties, social events, concerts at 530 in the morning, for example. Uh, it just doesn't happen. So we're setting ourselves up. And so 
prophets throughout time have done this. Go to Genesis, Abraham got up early in the morning and stood before the Lord. Okay, it's consistent. I just giving you a couple. Moses, Moses rose early in the morning and went into the Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. It's very consistent. Joseph Smith in the morning, he doesn't say early, he doesn't say the time, but it's a morning time. But you say, well, what did Christ do? Interesting. Mark one thirty five. you go, you don't know Christ's schedule. Yeah, I do for that day. I don't know if it's a consistent thing, but I know what he did that day. And I have a feeling this is what his schedule was. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out, departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed, Mark one thirty-five. But listen close to this scripture. It's my favorite scripture. I think it. everything we talked about is in this scripture. 88.124, cease to be idle. Get up and get on it. Cease to be idle. This is the Lord speaking. This is not President Lee anymore now. This is direct from the Lord. Yeah, but I'm a whatever. Cease to be unclean. No unclean thing can enter the kingdom of heaven. This is it. Be clean. Well, next one, cease to find fault with one another. Of course, love your neighbor, the great commandments. So here it is, cease to be idle, cease to be unclean, cease to find fault with another. And then the next thing, cease to sleep longer than is needful. Uh, The research says you're going to wake up foggy. You'll get almost nothing done if you get too much sleep. Try it sometimes. You remember the Saturdays, Sundays where you slept in, you get nothing done. You don't feel like doing anything. You're groggy. Well, it's interesting, a couple of words. He goes on to say, we tired of the bed early. And we say, why? That you may not be weary. Arise early. Why? That your bodies and minds may be invigorated. And you go, I know what those things mean, really. Let's read it with the dictionary definitions of it. Cease to be idle. All those things. Now let's get to this. Cease to sleep longer than is needful. Retire to that bed early that you may not be exhausted in strength, endurance, vigor, or freshness. That's why you go to bed early. Arise early that your bodies and your minds may be filled with a new sense of energy and excitement. And you go, oh my word, can you imagine if we were not exhausted in strength, endurance, vigor, freshness, and that we were filled with a new sense of energy and excitement, what we could do? Elder Lance Wickman came to our stake a few years ago and told about a dramatic experience that happened on 9-11 when he was in uh, Northern Virginia at the Pentagon that he witnessed, but afterwards had a chance to talk to him for a minute. But he said that morning of 9-11, he got up early and went out jogging, da, 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 and he came back. People gathered around the TV screen, then he went in a cab. But he tells the story, and then afterwards I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? And uh, he said, no, that's fine. And I said, can I ask you what time you get up? And he said, yeah, I get up at 4.45. And I'll never forget the next thing. I said, how many of the brethren of the 12 in the first presidency do you think do similar things? He leaned in close to me and he said, they all do. And leaned back out and started talking to some other people. I go, that's their secret. That's the little thing why we don't have 96-year-olds in a couple of weeks teaching our Sunday school classes. And we have 88-year-olds and 87-year-olds. They're all around that right now within weeks so on just turn. But that's our leadership, 96, 88, and 87. And you go, what are they doing different? This is one thing they're doing different than the church. I can promise you that not many people are following this. If this is a commandment of the Lord, 
Uh, we did some research at BYU, uh, not official through the university, but through several classes of a couple of hundred kids. They're doing the exact opposite of what this teaches, the exact opposite. So, Morgan, you're a basketball player. Uh, did you ever go to the free throw line? Yes. Uh, what was your goal when you were at the free throw line? Well, I mean, my goal was to make both shots. Okay. So that was your goal. Did you ever miss one of the shots? Yes. Did you quit the team? No. Then why do you, when you get off track with your going to bed early and get up early, do you quit the team, so to speak, because you missed one time? I don't know. I don't either. But you need to think about it, right? Yeah. Don't throw in the towel because there's an exception. There's going to right. be exceptions, especially at night. Now, in North Carolina, did you have a chance to go to seminary? Yes. Was it early morning? Yes, sir. Okay. What time did it start? My freshman year, it started at 6 a.m. I think every year after that, it started at like 6.45. Okay. Let's go to your freshman year. And let's just say you had some homework one night and you had to stay up till 12. What time did seminary start then, the next day? Still started at 6. Oh, it wasn't based on how much sleep you got the night before? Then why is our schedules based? Everything's changing. So my challenge to you is, and you love challenges, I know. My challenge is that you set a schedule of, well, let me ask you first, how much sleep do you need? Uh, I, I'd say usually around eight hours is when I, what I usually try to get. But Is that what you need? I don't know. Have tested it out? Uh, I haven't. Elder Judge A. Christian, who told the story about President Romney and President Lee, said nowhere in the scriptures does it say thou shalt get eight hours of sleep. So I don't know what you need, but you need to find out what you need. And you'll never find out if it's a roller coaster until you get on a schedule and say, you know what? I'm fine at eight hours. You say, well, why don't you try seven hours and 45 minutes? Move them both back. 15 minutes and say, hey, I'm still okay. And I just added 15 minutes a day for the rest of my life. You go, whoa. And it may be seven and a half. Research says the most healthy people get seven. It's kind of strange mm -hmm. because the eight is just a general blanket. You go, you're talking about for infants? You're talking about for 90-year-olds? You're talking about for sick people? You're talking about for pregnant women? Yep, eight hours. Well, maybe. And you may. My wife, she feels like she needs it. I don't need that much, but she says she does, which is fine. So if you need eight hours, that would mean if you go to bed at, what's early going to bed for you? Probably between 9.30 and 10. Okay, let's just say 10, then all you got to do is put your eight hours onto it, so you need to get up at six. Yeah. So if you were to go 9.30, then you get up at 5.30. I mean... We don't want to leave you here with nothing to do. So I'm going to give you a challenge right now. You said 10. Let's just leave it at 10. So for the next 14 days, will you go to bed at 10 and get up at 6 for the next 10 days? I mean, 14 days. Yes. Okay. Well, some in the audience are probably thinking, ha, ha, ha. I guess, would you like some company doing it? Yeah. Yeah. All your listeners, wouldn't that be fun that all of you did the same thing? And what we're going to try to do is put the Lord to a test. And Malachi says on tithing, look, just try me here with, just try it. And what if you only need seven and a half? Wouldn't that be unbelievable to get 30 more minutes a day? 
Every two days, you get another hour in your life added on to read your scriptures, to write in your journal, to exercise, to do all those things we know we should be doing anyway. This is from, we know, President Nelson. He said that the kids got up at 6.30. This is an article in the June Ensign of 1984 when he got called. But the kids and the family read scriptures at 6.30. But then he says, I get up before anybody else. That gives me time for personal scripture reading, private prayer, half an hour playing the hymns. I'm pretty sure he reads the scriptures at least as much as he reads the hymns. You start going backwards and you say, okay, he's putting himself around five o'clock right here at least, minimum. And then Chris Pendleton writing for the Deseret News. I know him, but President Oaks gave a talk at Southern Virginia University, which you're familiar with. Elder Oaks then briefly described his morning routine, rising around 4.30 a.m., but never after 5 a.m. Elder Oaks begins his day walking a few miles. He's 88 now, walking a few miles, praying, studying the scriptures, praying again, asking that he might be guided by the Holy Ghost. And so that's two of the first presidency. We know their schedules. They're getting up very early. They're going to bed early. And the Lord tells us all to. And so if Morgan did it and all your listeners did it, can you imagine the things that would get done in the church if all of you do that? Kevin Rollins, who is the CEO of uh, Dell Computer a few years ago and here in Austin, came and spoke to the Austin Institute, and somebody asked him a question, what time do you get up in the morning? He said, I usually up at 4.45 a.m. And you could hear those college students, oh, well, I'm going to bed at that time, and all of these moans and groans. And what they were really saying was that the CEO of a $34 billion company at the time did, was kind of goofy, didn't know what he was doing. What are you doing? Isn't that what they're saying? Oh, crazy. As if they knew. And so here is Kevin Rollins. But then one of the students says, can I ask you why you get up so early? I'll never forget what he said. He said, I'm just so excited about life. I can't sleep any longer than that. And then I thought about that definition of invigorate, where it actually uses that energy excitement for life. And I go, he just bore his testimony of what the Lord told him to do. And so I hope that everyone will take the challenge. And since we have our own little, since nobody's on it but me and my wife, we have our own little Facebook page here that we could kind of report to each other how we're doing. Again, the three-word journal, you can go into groups, type that in, it'll go right to it. And what if everybody accounted for themselves on how they're doing and any kind of positive experiences? It's okay if you say, hey, I'm dead tired because I decided to get up early and I went to bed late. Uh, well, seminary sometimes starts at six o'clock, whether you go to bed late or not. Well, and I think that's the thing. So when I when I hear you ask me to commit to that, I'm like, okay, I can commit to the getting up early part. It's the going to bed early part that's going to be more of a challenge for me because sometimes things are like weird in my life. But I do remember us having a conversation when we first talked about this years ago when I tried this for the first time. And you just said, if you go to bed too late one night, just keep that promise to yourself and get up. And that has made a big difference for me because there are some nights where I'm not getting in bed by 10 o'clock, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just still going to get up and 
I'm always glad that I did. Yeah. Let me just say this. We know that there's going to be conflicts at night. There's no question about that. I could go through a taught at Martin Seminary on the high council and on my own business at the same time, know all the things, taught at BYU, going to school full-time, teaching full-time, which was a bishop at the time. But we know there's going to be conflicts at night, and that's why I brought up the free throw thing. Don't throw in the towel on both ends of it just because you had to I mean, mothers stay up with kids all the time and get asleep. So when I have to go to bed late, when there is a conflict, which there comes, I've learned over time that you can control some of the conflicts by planning, knowing that you're going to bed at 10 o'clock, for example, and you set little alarms. You better get this done. It's getting close to 10 o'clock. And so there's a little app called uh, Streaks that you can put on your phone. That's so fun to just push that button. Yeah, I did it again. I did it. Oh, I went 10 days in a row, 10 days. And really a fun thing. But... There's going to be conflicts sometimes. And so I always like to go to bed saying, tomorrow is Christmas. Because when, <laughs> when we were kids, we didn't care what time we went to bed. We said tomorrow's Christmas. But don't break two commitments at once by missing the morning just because you had a conflict in the night. Conflicts will come up at night uh, for sure. But you don't throw in the towel. You don't quit because you have, you missed the free throw. You try to keep getting better. And the next night, I guarantee you, you won't go to bed 10 the next night if you stayed up till midnight and night before. It will cure you fairly quickly. So anyway, if again, I would love to see what you're doing. It helps me. People ask me for advice on this. Some of you saw an article I wrote for the Ensign Magazine on this subject. But it's it's hard to get all the feedback. I'd love to see your feedback on how it's going for you. Any challenges, then I can jump in and say, I mean, we touched a tiny bit of the research. Uh, you should see some of the research on this. It's fascinating to see the researchers back up the board on this. And, yeah. and so if you post something and I read it and I say, oh, they need to see this article. I'll, I'll put the article on there so that you can track that. And I think, let's just say the three things we talked about, the self-discipline, the uh, learning lessons from life, and uh, this is what drives it all. This is what gives you the motivation because guess what? The last thing you do at night is make a decision on going to bed. And it's every bit as much self-discipline to go to bed as it is to get up. The first thing you do every morning, your first decision of the day, where you're going to get up. And that's the Stephen R. Covey, mind over mattress. If you lay there. Don't put a snooze on, put it across the room. Just get up, go wash your face with cold water, go get a drink. I Every morning, uh, let's face it, there's a warm-up time. It takes about 15 minutes to wake up. It doesn't matter what time you get up. And so if it's early, don't say, I'm tired. Obviously, you're tired. You're just coming out of the fog. You don't get in your car in Utah on a cold morning and turn the heater on full blast and it hasn't warmed up yet. You've got to warm up a little. I always go on a little gratitude. First thing I say in the morning is, I'm alive. As soon as I wake up, the alarm goes off, I go, I'm alive. And I go over to turn the alarm off and I go, I can hear. I can see that flashing. I can feel my feet on there. And so a little gratitude. Well, enough of that. Challenge you to do it. And if you would report in the Three Word Journal on Facebook, it would be fantastic to see each other, how the progress and, and to try to, you know, do some personal coaching kind of thing with executives and things. But it's nice to see how they're doing. And then you know what to uh, share. Yeah. 
Well, my uh, high school basketball coach always said, Morgan, you're a solid 50% free throw shooter. So <laughs> that is what I can commit to you, Randall. And I will, I'll get on the, the three row journal page and share how it's going for me. Okay. What, what about a commitment on the morning side of it? I, I can definitely 100%. commit to that. Yep. Okay, 100%. And then best you can possibly do, set yourself alarms. You're shooting for that 10 o'clock time to get in bed. Yes. Okay. You got it. Very good. I'm, I'm on it. Um, Randall, as we wrap up, I could talk to you all day long. You know that. But my last question for you, and this goes back to what I just said, what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I think for me, it's to quit saying I'm the exception. If we're talking about going to bed, I'm a night person. I'm, a, I'm a, as if the Lord made a mistake. There's animals that come out at night, and there's animals that come out in the day. The Lord, that we happen to fit in the day category. And so, all in, I'm not the exception. And I have one rule in life that I try to follow. I try to follow. It's, it's always, always a challenge, but I have one rule. Whatever the prophet says is the rule. Don't remember anything else. And if you get married, which you will one day, you and your husband make that commitment. We got one rule. Whatever the prophet says is the rule. There's no arguing. Well, my parents did. It doesn't really matter what our parents did. It's what the Lord says in his prophets. And it's getting to be pretty scary times. And so I think it's time for all of us to learn lessons from others. I think it's time to have self-discipline. And if self-discipline means getting up the first thing in the morning, that's the first battle of the day. If you can win that battle, you're going to win lots more. And if you can train yourself to go to bed at night, even though there's going to be visitors from out of town, there's going to be exceptions. You're not going to be rude. You're just going to suck it up and say it's Christmas tomorrow. Sure, I'm glad it's Christmas. I love it. Randall, thank you so much. It's always such a treat to learn from you. And I appreciate you taking the time and we will all join that Facebook group. Okay, thank you. You guys have a good day. We are so grateful to Randall Wright for joining us on today's episode. You should know that at the time I'm recording this extra, I'm two for two on going to bed early and getting up early. But to be fair, it's only been 24 hours. So we can do this together. Be sure to connect with Randall on Facebook through the group, The Three Word Journal, and let him know how you're coming with these things. We'll have a link to that group in our show notes. If you'd like to learn more from Randall, you can find a handful of his books on Desert at book.com, including two of my favorites, The Book of Mormon Miracle and Achieving Your Life Mission. You can also learn more and find Randall's incredible collection of quotes divided by topic by visiting achieveyourlifemission.com. All right, this should be plenty to keep you busy until next week. Thanks to Derek Campbell of Mix at Six Studios for his help with this episode, and thank you for listening.